Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next 30 minutes, I'd like to invite you to stay tuned. 30 minutes of motivation, some inspiration, a whole lot of education, and never any manipulation. We say that every show, never any manipulation. I hope you understand what that means. It means we're not trying to con you. We're not trying to solicit anything from you. We have nothing for you to join. The only thing we have is accurate information, information that I pray would help you orient and adjust to the plan of God. If we can verify it, if we can identify it, and you can make the adjustment in your own life. So this show is about giving simple answers, simple truth, not trying to persuade you to do anything, but listen. Give it a shot and listen, and you may find that God has some answers for you today. We call it the flat line because we're dealing with a concept of establishing a forward line of troops, F-L-O-W, forward line of troops. What that means is we're using a military analogy on this radio show to describe the Christian life, learning some unique problem-solving devices and in just deploying those problem-solving devices to the inside part of your soul so that they act like a forward line of troops to stop the outside source of adversity before it becomes the inside source of stress. We always say adversity is inevitable and stress is optional, and that's very true because adversity is what circumstances do to you and stress, well, now that's what you do to yourself. We can live without stress, regardless of what we faced, regardless of what we've been in. If we use the problem-solving devices found in the Word of God, we can live without stress. I did not say we could live without adversity because that's impossible. But we can live without stress. How? By learning these 10 unique problem-solving devices and living by them. These are for Christians. These are, uh, these are problem-solving devices for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. If a person is not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's having to, I guess, walk the trail alone. He's by himself. He's a hermit in the devil's world. I can think of no worse place to be than in the middle of a pitch black forest and there be no light, no one to show me the way out, no one to rescue me, no one to say, over here, over here, come over here, it's safe over here. And so people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior are like those folks in that pitch black dark forest. They have no answers. They have no way out. And that's why the Lord said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he said an amazing thing. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we understand the Lord is not going to ask us to do something that's impossible. He's already done the impossible. He went to the cross over 2,000 years ago, and he bore our sin. The Bible clearly says he who knew no sin was made sin for us so we may be made the righteousness of God through him. You would have said it was impossible for one man to live a perfect life, 
to come into this world and to live for 33 years and never commit a sin. And yet he did it. He was not born with a sin nature like you and I to start off with because he he had a virgin for a mother, not a male. No male was involved in his conception. You know, the Bible teaches that the old sin nature is passed down through the man. That's where the Bible says, for by one man sin came into the world, and death by sin. And now death has passed on all, for all have sinned, and all have come short of the glory of God. Well, in the case of our Lord Jesus Christ, there was a miraculous conception, no man involved. And so from a baby, he had no old nature. And that's not so unusual. Adam was the same way. Unfortunately, Adam chose to sin and to go against God's word. The second Adam, the Bible refers to Christ as the second Adam. He did not. He chose not to sin. And so the Bible clearly says, he that knew no sin was made sin for us. That's the impossible. Came into the devil's world, lived his life, went to the cross, and paid for our sin. Completely satisfied the justice of God, so that you will never have to stand before the wrath of God. He that believes in him shall not perish, the Bible says, but have everlasting life. And he that believeth not, The wrath of God abideth on him forever. That simply means that God has supplied a place for the devil and the fallen angels. We know that place to be the lake of fire, wherever it may be. We know that Lucifer, a.k.a. the devil, Diabolos, the liar, the killer, he's going to the lake of fire along with the angels that followed him. What you may call demons today are simply fallen angels. And anyone who doesn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, anyone whose name, the Bible says in Revelation, is not found written in the Lamb's book of life, will wind up in that same lake of fire. You don't have to go there. No one has to go there. God did not design it for us. That was designed in eternity past at the great trial where Satan was judged guilty. That trial and the... the, uh, the implementation of that of that sentence has not been carried out yet. Satan is still here. You might even say we're having, oh, shall we say, another trial that he appealed that decision, that he asked for a new trial. Something must have happened because he did not immediately go to the lake of fire. He's still here. And we're going to discuss a little bit of that today. The angelic conflict, and why when God judged in the lake of fire, why did he not go immediately to the lake of fire? The main thing for you to understand is that was not prepared for you. That was prepared for him, and he's headed there. Because of the impossible, because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did, you do not ever have to worry about going to the lake of fire. You have eternal life. He who believes in him shall not perish that have everlasting life. The Bible is clear about that. And it is my prayer that you will believe in Jesus Christ and that you will learn these unique problem-solving devices that are taught in the Bible, in the Word of God, so that you will not have to live your life as a Christian, defeated and discouraged and even disillusioned with those around you, that you will come to understand how the plan of God works that it requires you doing a right thing in a right way. 
and that you will grow up and ultimately glorify Jesus Christ to the maximum in your life as you represent him to your friends and to all of your acquaintances. That's the Christian life. That's the unique life that God has for each of us. Now, do you know what those ten problem-solving devices are? We've talked about it on our show constantly. Let me remind you the first one is rebound. Rebound solves the problem of sin. The Bible says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So we all sin. We either sin with mental attitude sins, or we sin with verbal sins, or sometimes actual sins. Sins like murder, stealing, whatever. When you commit sin in your life, sin breaks fellowship with God if you're a Christian. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, sin doesn't cause you not to be saved anymore. That's not what's happening. What sin does is it breaks fellowship with God. Let me explain. When you believed in Christ, God the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. He regenerated you, and he indwelled you. And the Bible says you are to let him control your life. You're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But when you sin... The Bible clearly says you quench the Holy Spirit and you grieve him. But when you rebound, when you confess your sin to God, as per what the Bible says in many verses like 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all wrongdoing. So let's see, I sin. Let's assume that I sin, either mentally, verbally, or actually. And then I go to my Father and I admit my sin. And God is faithful and he's just to forgive me. That doesn't mean there are not implications. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he forgives me. He puts me back in fellowship with him. So the first problem-solving device is I have the ability to solve my sin by confessing it. The second problem-solving device is the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I have the ability to subdue my old sin nature and not let it control me. As a matter of fact, the Bible says don't let sin reign in your mortal body any longer. The book of Romans makes that clear. I'm not to live under control of the old man or the flesh or the carnal nature. Well, how do I not live under control of that? By walking in the Spirit. The Bible clearly says in Galatians, if we'll walk in the Spirit... We won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And the Bible clearly says in Ephesians, the mandate, be filled with the Spirit. And so how do I walk in the Spirit? Well, when I sin, I stumble. When I confess my sin, I get up and keep moving. Walking in the Spirit is dealing with your sin when it occurs. And being filled with the Spirit is allowing the Holy Spirit to restore you to fellowship and to control your life. And it's always a matter of your volition. It's always a matter of your choice. You make the decisions. I make the decisions. God did not make us little robots. We have the choice to sin mentally, verbally, or actually. And when we sin, we are out of fellowship. Back to problem-solving device number one. So problem-solving device number one is the rebound technique, and number two is the filling of the Holy Spirit. And number three is the faith rest drill, standing on the promises of God. 
The Bible clearly says in Ephesians 6 to pick up the shield of faith where we can quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Using Scripture, using the Bible, this is exactly what our Lord did in Matthew chapter 4 when he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. He used the shield of faith. He used Scripture to defeat Satan. And it's true for you, too. There are over 7,000 promises in the Bible. They all have your name on them. As you learn the Word of God, as you deploy the Word of God into the forward part of your soul, into the mentality of your soul, as you think about the Word of God, you renovate your thinking. You begin to think in terms of the mind of Christ. The Bible is called the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2.16. And when you renovate your thinking, you're thinking like he thought. And that's why the Bible says in Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Learn to think like he thought. There are the first three problem-solving devices. Rebound, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the faith rest drill. Standing behind the promises of God. Using faith, as Moses told the Jews who came out of Egypt when they hit the Red Sea and Pharaoh was hot behind them. Moses simply said, stand still and watch God deliver you. That's what it means to have faith. And the Bible says, by the way, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Yes, your faith requires your volition to act. Either you believe what God said and you trust him, or you don't believe what God said and you try to figure out your own solution. Human solutions are no solutions. Divine solutions are the only solution. So it's really up to you. I mean, you can do it your way, and you can beat your brains out trying to make it work, or you can do it God's way and relax. And listen to what he said. Because he said in Matthew 6, if you'll seek me first, if you'll seek my kingdom and my righteousness, I'll add these other things to your life. In due time, God will add whatever you can handle. But you have to make priority number one, learning his word. Now, our last radio show, we talked about how Satan will try to counterattack that. How when you have some sort of spiritual victory, Satan will come and try to steal the victory away from you. Try to steal it away from you because you didn't seal that victory. You didn't finish the job. You uh, allow Satan sometimes to get you to compromise. And you don't consolidate your victory with faith and humility. Now listen, what do I mean by victory? Well, I mean, you know, like you go to church and you hear a great message and the Holy Spirit really moves you and you go out and you determine that you're going to make some changes. Or maybe you were used of God on a mission trip or maybe in a witnessing sort of way. And you feel really great because God has honored you and used you. You can bet that it won't be long before the counterattack comes because that's something that Satan is a specialist in. He is a specialist in discouraging you. He is a specialist in defeating you by opening the door to your own lust. And if he can get you to give in to the lust pattern of your soul, then you will be defeated by the temptations of the flesh. And when we talked about lust patterns, I don't know if you were here last week, but we, we're not just talking about sex lust. That's what most people think when you say lust. 
They think sex lust. No, we're talking about power lust, approbation lust, ego lust, money lust, alcohol lust, drug lust, sex lust. There are a lot of different lust patterns. Everybody does not lust for the same thing. What would trip up one person might not trip up another. And you can bet Satan knows your weakness. He knows your lust pattern. He knows how to discourage you and get you disillusioned with people. And if he can do that, then his counterattack into your life will get you to quit advancing spiritually. And the way that it does is it takes your eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ and you put your eyes on yourself. Once you put your eyes on yourself, you're very, very vulnerable because you start having a little pity party. You start feeling sorry for yourself. You start thinking, woe is me, and this is not fair, and I'm not going to let that happen to me. One of the hardest counterattacks that we face is people testing. You can pass a lot of tests, but when it comes to people, obnoxious, weird people that we deal with sometimes, that's where we fail. Sometimes it's because they get into your space Sometimes it's because they malign or criticize you, or sometimes just because they're so obnoxious and so rude that you just plain don't even want to be around them. I mean, people testing is one of the greatest areas of testing that you will face. If you react to the weird, obnoxious people, person that we're talking about, then you will be distracted. Remember these two words. React and respond. React and respond. Anytime you're tested, you can react or respond. And if we're dealing with people, you can react to that person by being bitter, by being angry, by being implacable, or you can respond to that person with forgiveness. It's really up to you. How do you think the Lord Jesus Christ handled Peter when Peter denied him three times the night that he was taken captive? The Lord even warned him before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter solemnly swore, not me, I'll never do it. I'll die for you. And yet yet he did. And our Lord, the Bible says in Luke 22, 60, heard him do it. How did the Lord react? Did he get angry at Peter? Did he swear at Peter? Did he give him a dirty look? Did he call him a dirty, rotten, double-crosser? Dirty, rotten, double-crosser? Did he do that? No. He responded with forgiveness. And when Mary and John and the disciples came to the tomb, one of the things the angel said was, Go and find his disciples and Peter. Peter might have thought he wasn't a disciple anymore. He had abandoned the Lord. He had disowned him. What would you have thought? Would you have thought you were still a disciple? After you failed that kind of test, would you think you're even still saved? Peter was. And he went on to write phenomenal books of the Bible called First and Second Peter. He was an amazing founder of the early church. And yet he failed tremendously. Our Lord forgave him. He responded. He didn't react. And it's up to you as well. No matter how far you advance spiritually, 
no matter how far you go spiritually, you're always vulnerable to some sort of counterattack from Satan. You're always vulnerable to this in your life. And when that counterattack comes, it will knock you off your course. It will, it will, what it will do is it will arrest your spiritual development. It will cause you to quit growing spiritually because you will move into post salvation sinning. You know, there's pre salvation sinning. That's the sins you did before you got saved and post salvation sinning. That's the sins you do after you get saved. When you move into post salvation sinning, that's when you begin to compromise or give in to your lust patterns. That's when you quit taking in the word of God and you get your eyes on yourself and you begin to think in terms of my past victories, the past things that I did, and you allow yourself to be distracted. And eventually, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be defeated and wind up in reversionism. That may be a word you haven't heard before, reversionism. Maybe you've heard the word backsliding. Sort of the same thing. Reversionism means instead of going forward, you go in reverse. You are not growing. You're losing ground. See, the rate of forgetting begins to exceed the rate of learning. And as a Christian, you begin to forget everything you learned about God's grace. You begin to forget everything you learned about objectivity and humility. And by getting your eyes on yourself, you move into arrogance, an arrogant reaction, and you now turn and go in the opposite direction. You're not growing spiritually. You're descending spiritually, not ascending. You begin to lose all of your divine viewpoint, and you have become victim to the counterattack. And this is when the Lord has to wake us up. This is when the Lord has to put into our life some discipline. Now, it's never fun to have to go through this. But divine discipline is not designed to hurt us. It's actually designed to deliver us from ourself. Because the greatest enemy we face is us. We have a volition, and we can destroy ourselves if we allow our sin nature to manipulate us and to control us. And so when divine discipline comes your way, first of all, it starts out with warning discipline. This is when God may actually warn you that you are out of line. He may do it through a message at church or a message on the radio, maybe through the Bible as you read it, or maybe the Holy Spirit just quietly speaks to your soul and says, what about this? What are you going to do about this? You must make a decision. Once you know God has warned you, you're either going to orient and adjust to the warning, or you're going to ignore the warning. Now, which one are you going to do? If he warns you and you don't orient and adjust, which means you do not rebound, you do not confess the sin, you do not resume your spiritual advance, but... Instead, you react and you claim some sort of self-justification as to why you did what you did. You try to justify it before God. That's nothing but pure arrogance, and it never works. You can't justify sin, and yet you say, well, but look what they did to me, or look what they had coming, or look, look, 
No, no, no. That doesn't work. And if the warning discipline doesn't get your attention, then your Heavenly Father brings intense discipline. This is like your daddy taking you to the woodshed to apply the rod of enforcement. Sometimes our Father, our Heavenly Father, has to lower the boom to get our attention. It's not designed to hurt us. It's not going to kill us. It's designed to wake us up and to shake us up and to make us realize that we cannot live independently of his plan and his purpose for our life. It's time for you to wake up. And if you do not respond to the warning discipline, and if you do not respond to the intense discipline, but rather harden your heart in arrogant self-justification and move into self-deception, even self-absorption, then you may face divine discipline category number three, call the sin unto death. And this is where the Father actually takes believers home. Way too soon. But it's called dying discipline. You can read about it in Acts 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. You can see it in the life of Samson, the man who couldn't keep his mouth shut. You can see it in many other situations as well where believers who should have lived long, fruitful lives went to heaven way too soon because they reacted and did not respond to the discipline of God. This is what Satan is really good at, getting you into a frantic search for happiness and into emotional revolt where you let your emotions begin to control your life. Once you move into emotional revolt, you will lose your Christian identity. You won't even look like a Christian. You won't even talk like a Christian. And people will wonder, is that a Christian? Now, people that don't know better, people that don't understand the Scripture will say, Well, that person can't be saved. Look what they did. But just the contrary. Yes, they are saved. Yes, they have believed in Jesus Christ. But they have moved into emotional revolt of the soul, and they've lost their Christian identity. Are they going to heaven? Absolutely. The Bible is clear. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I give unto them eternal life, and they will never perish Neither shall any man ever take them out of my Father's hand. So, yes, they're going to heaven. But they're going on the next trip. Not much later when they should have gone. You are living in the middle of an angelic conflict. You might not know there's a war raging around you. But it is. And it all boils down to this, that Satan is seeking to adjudicate his case before the Supreme Court of Heaven. He does not want to go to the lake of fire. He wants God's decision to incarcerate him in the lake of fire overturned. And You are the witnesses for the prosecution. He will seek to neutralize you as a witness. He will seek to keep you off the witness stand if he can. And this is just a courtroom analogy of what's going on in eternity. The Bible clearly says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, Let no advantage be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Wow. It's time to learn. It's time to grow up. It's time to advance in the plan of God. Until next week, this is Rick Hughes saying thank you for listening to The Floodline. 
Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054. Or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.